What's up, Lady Ballers? Welcome back. We're Soccer Props. And it's game time. What's up, Lady Ballers? Just last week, we found out for the first time student athletes can be compensated for the use of their NIL, name, image, and likeness. This is revolutionary as rules around the NIL have prohibited student athletes from accepting compensation in order to maintain their eligibility. The rules kept them squarely under the NCAA's amateur guise, but not anymore. We're chatting about the NIL reform with David Morris, the founder of the College Athletic Advisor, and Michelle Meyer from the NIL Network, all about what these changes will look like for student athletes. Enjoy! Hi, guys. Morning. How's it going? It's going. Nice to meet you guys. You too. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. This was um, perfect timing with everything that's happening. It's been an insane week. I cannot keep up to save my life. (laughs) Yeah. So we'd love to just like go through everything with you guys and just find out more. Um, We've been getting a ton of questions and DMs from different players and we only know so much. So any insight you can give us on um, what they can be doing um, to help themselves as they go go through the process, if they're in high school and they're going to be college athletes or if they are currently college athletes. So literally starting from the beginning, like so basic, what is NIL and go right into it? Because I know a lot of younger players like are still learning about it too, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this, you know, all started a couple of years ago um, with the the Ed O'Bannon case, which everyone knows is the the video game. Uh, Lost City is a basketball player at UCLA who EA Sports was using his likeness um, even after he graduated. And he's like, hold on a second. Like, I mean, as cool as it is to be featured in a, in a video game, it's like, how am I not being compensated for this at all when this is exactly like what I look like? My number obviously didn't use his name, but so he brought a um, lawsuit against EA Sports and the NCAA, um, which they they settled. I believe some of the players that they're being used got a, a payout of a thousand bucks each or something like that. Um, and then moving forward uh, in the fall of 2019, California passed their own NIL bill to go into effect of January 2023, um, which is the first time I think any state has really stood up to the NCAA and, and said from like a government standpoint, like we're changing the law, like enough is enough and we're going to make this happen for our athletes in California. Um, and at that point, it brought around, you know, NCAA was threatening to kick those schools, all the California schools out of the NCAA. Um or to, you know, threaten them with lawsuits and whatnot. And that really, you know, that didn't come to fruition. And then all the other states started passing with then Florida saying, all right, we're doing July 1st, 2021. So here we go. Um, and as the other states didn't want to fall behind in recruiting, I have been shocked about how integrated, maybe, I sh- maybe I'm just naive to it, but how integrated our, our government is with even college sports and whatnot that, Someone said it to me in a way that they're like, hey, if, if Alabama didn't pass their law to go into effect on July 1st and then they did not win the national championship next year, like that senator would probably not have a job anymore because that's just how much people love college sports um, down in, in the southeast. So, Dave, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I think from a from a student standpoint there's a couple things. One of them is the high schools are still it's very state by state. Like in Texas, if you start trying to sell your NIL rights to a high school student, they will declare you ineligible. Uh, some states are not. I, I don't know how that's going to go. That's a very political state by state. There's also not that much pressure to let high school kids. EA Sports isn't doing Texas high school, whatever. Uh, they don't, they don't want to do it the same way. So there's also no limits. The NCAA was limiting 
NIL for everything. So like, if you had a YouTube, like you guys know, you guys had a YouTube channel, you weren't really trading on your NCAA status, right? It was funny and it was, and that you still couldn't monetize it. For high school students, the, the high school regulatory groups don't have any power to stop that. So if you want to make YouTube videos about your she shed and they monetize on YouTube, that doesn't impact your, this is a true story, that's what happened, right? Uh, that doesn't impact your high school eligibility, but it used to impact college eligibility. So there was a, a real problem where the NCAA was making college athletes the only people basically in the United States who couldn't monetize their, their intellectual property. So that, it was never going to stand up if anybody, you know, questioned it and it didn't. So for college students, now there's kind of this, uh, it's kind of like the old West where they, you know, they opened up Oklahoma and everybody go. Um, and there's, and there's a lot of talk about what this is going to mean and how much money. And I think maybe we'll get to that. Cause I think there's a lot of right now overstating what we're really talking about. This is a limited, uh, thing you can sell, you monetize intellectual property. I'm watching the basketball players at Fresno state. There's the two twins and they've got this huge TikTok account and they just uh, monetize it. They signed a deal with Boost Mobile and, and it's like in the, in the five, it was, they won't, nobody's talking about how much it was, but it's in the quote unquote five figures. That's a lot of leeway. Uh, you know, five figures can be relatively small or relatively big. Uh, I don't think it's clear and they're the top end of the market. Like there's, there's really nobody worth more money than them. So I think people need to understand that this is part of an arc. Now you can monetize it in college, but the real thing is you have this opportunity to build a community and yes, you can monetize it, but it, it can do a lot of things for you. And I think that's going to be the next, I, I haven't heard a ton of people, the really loud voices are like, woohoo, somebody just made 50 bucks. I don't know where that really leads. Uh, there's a, there's an opportunity here to do something similar to what you guys have done uh, with less regulation over yeah, well, time. I was going to say when when we were in school, and I, I think this is the case with a lot of these student athletes now, is they have millions of followers, and it's not so much that they can't you know be like oh, I want to do the X, Y, and Z and make money. It's that they've been building the brand of themselves this whole time and have to just wait to monetize on it. And that's kind of the situation that we were in until we weren't collegiate athletes anymore, then we could finally incorporate a business. But now I'm just partnerships with companies and yeah, being able to monetize like the creator channel on TikTok and being able to make money like that, like none of that was ever permissible. So it's just cool that now that's making money. And then you also have to think how many brand deals happen between schools because schools have certain elite players that they want wearing a Nike Jersey or an Adidas Jersey, you know, so it, it goes on a lot of different levels, but it's just really cool. There was that uh, gymnast that got the uh, billboard in New York city. Uh, Cause she's this, the, I think right. These top college athlete with the most followers on social media. So they had like a huge billboard uh, with her name and everything, but it's just, it's crazy. Social media is so much bigger than it even was back when we were in school and it handicapped us so much yeah. as a business. I, well, I was going to say, is it to the point now where, is it more about 
how many followers these athletes have on social media or is it about how good they are? Like, where's, you know, where do you think the brands are going to go? They're probably going to go to the people who have the most TikTok followers, which is wild. But I'm curious to see your, your perspectives on this because I know my sister's husband plays hockey, but he hates social media. He doesn't even have an Instagram. He probably wouldn't get a deal with, with anyone because of that reason. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. I, I think that probably like, um, you know, 90, 95% of these deals will be social media endorsements, kind of like brand partnerships, that kind of thing. But I think there's a lot of other different avenues as well. If they're not on social media, like now college athletes can go and coach private lessons or, or clinics and use their name on that camp. Um, and then, you know, if they have any entrepreneurial you know, endeavors that they want to go to. Like a lot of athletes have started kind of like clothing lines or, you know, podcasts or YouTube channels or or just um, a different way that's still associated with their personal brand, but they have been so blocked from doing that because of the NCAA rules. Like the first athlete or whatever it says to um, monetize their NIL was actually an NAIA athlete because NAIA passed their reform back in October of last year. Uh, It is a volleyball athlete named Chloe Mitchell who during quarantine made a TikTok of like building like she sheds, I think. So doing like some construction type stuff that literally had nothing to do with her volleyball career, but because of how the rules are written, she was still blocked, you know, like there's a waiver process they can do, but those aren't all approved in any kind of capacity. So I think just like opening it up and giving the athletes the same rights as like the student they sit next to in class, because exactly what you guys said, social media is so big now, but there's other opportunities as well that people can, can take advantage of like normal students can. So, so these players, these like young people can create businesses while they're in college. Like that's wild to me because we were for so long, like so scared that we would go against rules, you know, when yep. we were playing. Yep. Oh my gosh. What a different world we live in. Do you yeah. think that at some point, like coaches are going to have players who are the same level of, um, like an athlete, but because one has a bigger social media or one has deals that they're going to then pick them over the other person or vice versa. Is that going to stick away? I think that the, this is really, we're in a period, it used to be the coaches had all, or the schools, I don't know about the coaches, but the schools had all the leverage, right? They could, they said, Oh no, you can't make money. Your only thing you can do is get a scholarship. The only thing you do is we give you some perks we can change scholarship, you know, give more equivalencies, discounts, things like that. Now, student athletes are going to have the ability to really pick a school because they're, if you have this social media community and you have this NIL value, you take it with you. It doesn't belong to the school. The flip side is some schools are going to provide better leverage than others. And I don't think it's going to cut cleanly like Division One is going to give more leverage than Division Three or something like that. I think it's going to going to be more uh, based on, you know, the, the program itself, on the school itself. I mean, there's some Division three schools that are going to add a lot of NIL value or be able to allow students to leverage that just because of the kind of school they are. You know, like, you know, I always think of like Emory or University of Chicago or someplace like that, NYU. I mean, those schools are going to have some advantages that Murray State, for instance, is not going to have. And uh, I, I think that's one of the things we don't really know how that's going to shake out totally, but I think it's going to empower players, uh, student athletes to be able to do what they want to do and, and be able to, Hey, I can play. I got to follow the rules for playing, but I can also 
start my own business. I can also monetize my social media. I can also build a community that's going to have value, maybe some value now, but maybe even more when I graduate. Uh, for someone who doesn't want to do it, there's no, Instagram's not the thing. It's, you could do public speaking. You could do, write a book. You could, I mean, it's, it's limitless. And I think that's, uh, right now there's this little frenzy. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. The other thing is, you know, we're talking about a lot of student athletes. And I think that there's a little bit of an over, I don't think most of these deals are going to be like, you're going to make more money playing in the NBA than you make from your NIL as a college athlete. The thing that's interesting to me is I think this is the first time that female athletes have had an advantage. And I think it, it doesn't matter whether you're in a non-revenue sport. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. If anything, because women's sports is primarily on social media, that's the primary vehicle for sort of spreading the word. If you're a fan of the U.S. women's soccer team, yeah, the games are on ESPN or whatever, but the conversation's all on social media. There's relatively little coverage, right? And so there's this community that already exists. And I think so female student athletes have an infrastructure that is superior. And I think there's been a lot. If you've watched the news, the coverage has been, oh, this football quarterback, you know, signed this deal. But the real action has been on the women's sports side. Yeah, and I, and I think in um, in saying that also that, that, that this is giving more power to the athletes and, you know, negotiating or figuring out what school they want to go to, it adds a whole nother element there's been a lot of conversations around like, okay, is, is NIL going to be further separating the, the haves, you know, the power five schools from the have nots. And like, if you, if you look at it, I think as, I, I don't know, like not very deeply, you're like, oh yeah, it obviously is going to, because they have all this money, you know, there's, there's universities who are putting together NIL services that are in the six figures already to help their athletes with their personal branding and, and the education that goes around it, which education in this space is going to be huge over the next year. Like there's already some things that are coming out that are, are not positive of like athletes getting taken advantage of separate story. Maybe we'll hit that later. But um, um, I think that it also gives a really unique opportunity to these smaller D1s or small, even D2, D3s to be strategic and look at some different ways that they can help their student athletes with within the rules, but that can give them kind of the leg up because it's no longer just okay, we can give you all this money towards the shiny locker room or the, the big stadium and whatnot. It's like, how can we actually help our athletes with their, their brand? And they can't do the deals for them, obviously, but given the, let's say the location of their university, the alumni who might want to get involved, who have small businesses and now want to support athletes, the, the boosters, which as much as, you know, you, you want them involved for the right reasons, we'll kind of see how that shakes out now that the rules are so loose, but I think there's some very creative opportunities for those to actually get closer in time. And especially of these first couple of years, because it really is just spending the time on the strategy and figuring out like, as uh, Shannon, as you said, you know, will coaches choose like if everyone and everything else is equal, someone who has a stronger personal brand, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how that'll figure out, but like an athlete that is monetizing their personal brand and they're representing their school in this program most of their, not most of their followers, but a large percent of their followers is probably young girls or, or boys who are looking up and want to play in college. So if they're seeing these guys and they're representing their school, I don't know, that kind of builds that aspirational side. And then maybe that school is seen better in their eyes because they support their athletes. Um, so we'll see how kind of that shakes out, but I think it is kind of could go either way in, in my opinion. Well, I think it's important to point out college is already doing this. 
on the admission side, they're paying influence, you know, high school age and younger influencers to come to the campus, say nice things about the school. Like there's already a market for that. College is already doing it. I think, you know, being strategic is going to continue. So colleges and universities cannot take a cut from any of the players. It's all individual to the player and the personal brand itself for them. Right now, that's how it's structured. The laws allow the colleges to take a cut. And I think smart policy, in my, this is my opinion, I don't, the smart move to me is the colleges would say basically like, because you have to report all your NIL earnings, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be smart for the colleges to say, we're going to take a third of that money and create an NIL pot and redistribute it to all the students. Uh, and maybe take a cut for ourselves. Because- I was going to say, would a college mm-hmm. really, really give all, all of it back? <laughs> well, well, I think you could defend the college taking some. You know, part of your value NIL is because you're playing for fabulous university of whatever. And, you know, we ought to get 5% or 10%. Yeah, I for like, sure, like, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, these colleges might get really salty, like if – all of these players are making so much money and, you, you know, using their university name. Um, so I would imagine that would be an issue, you know, or one of the negatives down the line. Michelle, well, you can't use, what do you think? So ahead, in a, quite a few of the state laws, like they have a, a separation, like the student athlete cannot, like, let's say they make an appearance. They can't actually wear, you know, the polo with the mark of the school on it. They have to just be their own personal brand. But I think it'll, you know, there's obviously a bit of a connection there um, just because they are representing like they have, let's say, 10 social media posts of them playing their sport in their jersey, but it's not associated with the payment. And then it's like this other one of just them standing alone, rep, like whatever sunscreen or whatnot. Um, but I think what I've seen that's kind of interesting from some schools, because since the NCAA punted this and they said, all right, if you don't have a state NIL bill institutions, you write your own policies, which, again, it's just craziness. But. Um, I think what I've seen from some of them, which I actually think will be really advantageous for that partnership in the future is licensing out their, their logo or their trademarks to the athlete who wants to take advantage of them. So then that's still, you know, the athlete's choice if they want to use the logo or the uh, intellectual property of the school, the school can get an additional revenue stream kind of based off of the size of the deal too, because if it's an athlete, that's really only going for, you know, hundred dollar deal or whatnot. They're like, okay, like maybe I can wear the logo for 10%. Here's $10 school. But like for some of these other athletes that are making these six figures, potentially even seven figures heels, I think that could be a meaningful revenue stream for the schools. It would actually work more in a partnership. Um, I'm not a, a attorney or lawyer, so I don't really know the ins and outs of that from the legal side, but I think that that would be an interesting way for them to collaborate together. So we'll see if that. I feel happening. like there's going to be a lot of issues with, like legal things moving forward. Like I think there's going to be a lot of gray areas that athletes aren't going to know before they do it. Like they're going to have to take courses on this when they go to school, just to make sure that they don't make a mistake with it, which is crazy. But maybe that's a good thing that they're learning now more about that. I don't know. There's something. Yeah. I mean, I, I was having a conversation with some volleyball coaches a few weeks ago and that's one of their, their biggest fears is like, and again, they're like, well, our athletes, I don't think are going to do this. Um, but potentially because the schools want to be so hands-off the NIL deals, because once you start, I think doing more within it, you're kind of putting yourself up for a lot of liability and, and how that all figures out. But 
Um, they're like, we want to open the lines of communication and have our kids comfortable coming and telling us, Hey, like, this is what I'm working with or the company. And because at that point, like at least the coach could say, Oh, you should probably have someone look at that or, or something to protect them. But if they're not doing that, or if the athlete doesn't feel comfortable doing that, and all of a sudden they sign something that can get the whole program and university in, in trouble with the NCAA or potentially even beyond that. And they're like, how do we prevent that from happening when there's no disclosure requirements to the coach. Like, like Dave said, they've got to put their deals um, to somebody within the athletic department um, who approves them. But I think even the coach is the one who's more obviously closer to the athletes and understanding where they're coming from. So it's kind of a scary part place for, for the coaches to be in right now. Yeah. And are the players basically their own agents? Are they just reaching out to brands? I know we have a bunch of players reaching out to us. <laughs> um, like, are, do you think that, well, are there agents that are going to be assigned to certain schools, do you think? Or like, is this going to be something that people just have to proactively do on their own? Dave, you want to go for it? I'll go. Uh, yeah, I think student athletes, they can hire an agent to represent them for NIL. So this is a really good... If you're, if you're in a sport where you're looking at going professional, right, this is a great way to test drive an agent. Yeah. And you can let them um, pitch you on NIL stuff. Uh, if, you're in a, if you're in a situation where that's really not on the table, this is a great opportunity to hire a lawyer for the first time. Hire an agent. You can get people to pitch you. You want to get you – know, it's like, it's like anything else. Don't – you want to listen just like you did your college search. Hopefully you didn't just go with the first person who talked to you. So you want to put together a, a pitch, say, hey, I reach out to four or five different attorneys or different agents or agencies. Uh, there's a couple online ones like Webfluential is a good one that have worked with influencers across social media platforms for years. And so it's already got an infrastructure that's set up. Uh, but you can you know, pitch to agents and that's all legal and let them kind of say, this is what we can do for you. I think anybody signing a contract in any, in any field, but particularly one that's more than three figures in an area of law that's evolving like this, would be well served to have professional representation. Yeah, and that that's kind of one of the places I'm, I'm trying to go with Nell Network, just because it's it, there are so many... Um, so many different industries involved within even the umbrella of NIL, you know, you have your, your sports agents and your attorneys, and then you've got accountants that are dealing with the tax side. And then these marketing agencies building your personal brand. Um, and it's just like, if, if I was a student athlete right now, I'd be like, I don't even know where to begin. Like I, I'm going after an agent. Okay. So I'm living in this state, but I go to school over here. So where does the agent have to be licensed is a whole nother thing. And then when they're actually doing their work and to figure out taxes, like there's just so many elements beyond, I guess, like the glitz and glamour of just getting paid to post something on yeah, social yeah. media. Um, so, so much like the personal branding too. We didn't even know how to personally brand anything or just brand our company until somebody literally taught us how in one of our like entrepreneurship yeah. program. But like, it really is wild how much like Shannon was saying, they're just the education side needs to be there. And these players need to know how to manage their finances. What if they're getting paid a ton of money? Like they might not know how to manage it. They might blow th through all of their money super soon and not, you know, be able to save anything. Like it's in very interesting what is coming about. And I'm sure like this year, they're going to learn so much on what like they need to teach these student athletes. 
Yeah. And, and the crazy, like when you look at the numbers and the statistics from our professional leagues with the, the NFL, NBA, I think major league baseball and even hockey and the athletes that are retiring out and what percentage of them after three, five years, whatnot, like are in some kind of financial hardship or even bankruptcy. It's like in the NBA, it's like 70% or something. And I think they're all over 50%. You're like, these are professional athletes that are probably in their mid twenties who probably had all the resources in the world while they were in whatever league to, to get educated and understand like the financial literacy piece. And they're still having all those issues coming out the, the, the backside. So I'm like, now we're instead of mid twenties, we're working with 18 to 22 year olds who might actually have bigger endorsement contracts than at the professional level. Just because when you look at how diehard some of these college colleges and uh, their boosters and um, alumni are like, I could imagine like something I saw really interesting the other day, an article from the NFL was like, is this going to actually stop kids from uh, like declaring early for um, the draft? And in saying that, like, hey, okay, I finished my season. I'm looking to get drafted next year. What's stopping a booster from coming in? I know they say no pay to play, but like booster saying, how much money do you need to stay for another year? Okay, we're going to do that. We'll write up a contract for you to do appearances that'll pay for that and, and run it through this business. And you know, and, and I think there's just so much big money around college sports. It's now going to go into the hands of the athletes, which is great in so many ways, but it's just so much to actually manage and the education around it. So it just made me think, like, do you think it will have some people say, I don't need to go pro because <laughs> they're getting paid and they, they start their own business, you know, there's already been a couple, um, college men's college basketball players who had declared for or said they were going to go for the draft this year. And now they're saying, okay, NIL is in effect. We're coming back to college for another year. So it's already starting to happen, which I think is cool for them. You know, if that's what keeps them and to finish college, I think that's a great opportunity and continue developing before they go into the league. But um, yeah, because yeah. think about it, if they're the best ones in college basketball and they're going to be the little fish in the NBA, like why not stay for another year and make as much money as you can? It's going to be well, so crazy. Like, I wish there was a reality show around this, like, in the, for the next few years, because it's all so wild. There will be. Yeah. I, I would expect, I mean, how, how could you miss that? There's yeah. got to be. The other, I, I do think where Michelle and I probably don't totally agree on this. Most, most of the money is going to be pretty small. Uh, I think there's a real positive to having, you know, if it's 500 bucks a month, that adds up to $6,000 a year. That much doesn't even impact your financial aid. That much is sheltered. If you make $6,000 a year as a student athlete, it doesn't do anything to your Pell Grant. It, it's, you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about it. And that much money could make it so a kid can stay in school for another year rather than having to declare for the draft. Because how many of these student athletes declare for the draft, don't get drafted, now they're ineligible. And, you know, there's some leagues, there's the G League, but there's some other leagues you don't want to play in those leagues if you're trying to support yourself. That's a difficult situation. Uh, I think if it enables student athletes to stay in school and feel comfortable that they're going to have enough money to, to survive. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you guys were playing, you couldn't have, get cash on top of your scholarship, right? It was just tuition, room, board, books, fee, and soccer. It's not even that. Mm -hmm. uh, in basketball or football, Scholarships are now cost of attendance. So kids get tuition, room, board, books, fees, plus about five or $6,000 a year to pay for miscellaneous expenses. So the kid who's starving and doesn't have pizza money is kind of a story. It's a great story, 
but it's a story from a while back. Uh, now you're going to add another $6,000 a year in NIL payments. Uh, that's not a million bucks, right? An NBA contract is worth way more. An NFL rookie contract is a half a million dollars almost. Okay. I don't think there's a lot of NIL deals that are going to do that. Under Armour's not going to, I don't think going to pay a student athlete a million bucks. They already pay the school a million bucks and the kid has to wear it. Yeah. Right. So I think you're talking about smaller deals, but those deals are significant. That's, I'm and, much more concerned with uh, that's the bigger you're talking the top 2% of college athletes are maybe making these big deals, but then you have the middle 50% that could start making a difference in their lives, not on a six figure scale, but on a smaller scale. And absolutely. those are the, and those are the people that aren't going to go on to have a pro scholarship afterwards or are going to play in something like the NWSL where you get paid a babysitter salary to play professionally. Like those are the athletes. I think that this is going to impact so much more because there's, we always talk about this gap when you graduate and then what the hell do you do after? And now there's like, I can maybe start to get even just my feet underneath me for what I'm going to do after while I'm in college and not have to have this two to three year period. Like we did where you're trying to figure out the finances and logos and getting your website set up. It's like finally, allows them to get a little bit of their, their feet underneath them to prepare themselves for the rest of their life. And I think like $500 a month makes a huge deal for a lot of people yeah. and a bigger chunk of people than the, the top percent that are going to be getting these sunscreen deals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think to that, that point as well, it's like, you know, 98% of uh, college athletes are not going pro in their sport after they're yeah. graduating out and their, their biggest opportunity to market their their personal brand and who they are is in college. And I think that's probably the most true, like in, you know, niche sports and um, female sports and whatnot. So like, that's where that is that really, really cool opportunity to make not even life-changing money, but enough to, to get by and potentially even, like you said, to save something. If you graduate out, then you're not in this mad dash scramble just to jump into a corporate nine to five and you can kind of have some flexibility to, I don't know, uh, explore some different options, which I think would be really cool. Well, it's a runway, right? You can, you, you, if you guys could have monetized soccer girl problems while you're in college, it's not even that you would have made money. It's that you wouldn't have had this period after you graduated where you could, but you're starting at ground zero, yeah. right? You're, you're already going. And I think that that's huge. And just to be able to enter the world of work or post, there's that, Justin, you know that, like you, you play, right? And you practice every day. And that's the central thing that organizes your life. And then you get out of college and it's like, okay, time to grow up now. And everybody's just like, yeah, cool. And you're like, hey, I'm sick. <laughs> There's no practice. What just happened here? And uh, I think this is a way, you know, this, this gives people an opportunity while they're playing to sort of develop really ideas about that next step, even if they don't work, even if you end up making 50 bucks or less than 50 bucks, it's still, it takes away this huge restriction and blind spot on sort of looking at your future i'm curious what you guys how do you think you could have used this we we, we would be in a wildly different position than yeah. we are now because we were the example of something going absolutely viral and not expecting it and then for two years while the virality of it was just like kind of simmering out we're just like i just felt like like all we this waste of potential yeah it was just leaving leaving and it's like this clock that we're trying to beat before the time runs out 
you know, and by the time we were able to jump on it, it was not as popular as it was when it was like super viral and everyone was talking about it. Even just some like things that happen in the moment, even in politics or whatever. And, and you'll see a company like make a shirt that's just super relevant in the moment. And it goes absolutely huge. Like that doesn't work when you put a one year delay on it. You know that mm-hmm. you, you miss the you miss the Iron Wild hot. So if, if you I think go it would back- have been really different. It's interesting. Sorry. I was just going to say, I was talking to my brother yesterday about this and he was like, that's true. But also like, if you guys weren't the only ones, someone else would have done what you guys were doing. Like there could have been 10 other girls doing similar things to soccer props. So maybe in that aspect, because Alana graduated early, we we got lucky with that and that we were still in school, but I don't know. There's like two, like it's a two edged sword. I feel Mm -hmm. like it would be really interesting to see what we could have done if we weren't the only ones doing it, but we could have blown it, blown it up. So I don't know. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, we can't regret, you know, how it panned out because we've been, you know, look where we are today and we've still done so much. But when you look back on our YouTube channel, all the brands messaging us that year, like oh, that we couldn't, we couldn't, couldn't even email back. We couldn't email them. We were so scared. We were like, I, I, even when we were filming, like flipping our, you know, the brand like of Fairfield, nothing could be shown. Like we were terrified that we would get kicked out of school. And now like, look at what these players can do. It's just like, so it's, I'm not going to lie. I was salty when I first saw it. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. But it really is an, an incredible thing for these players. And like for them to be able to do what we're doing now, like I, that is so cool at such a young age and being able to like find a way to even work for yourself eventually. Like, are these players going to be, are they, are they, we're going to have so many more entrepreneurs, you know, so many people who are probably not going to go to a nine to five job after school because they can do this. Um, but yeah, it is really wild. And also too, like, I guess they're like, what are schools going to do? It doesn't matter if you get a full ride to school, if you're like with the NIL stuff, like if you get a full ride to school and you're, then you're getting all these brand sponsorships after that, the school can't do anything about it. Right. Your NIL. Yeah. It's not supposed to be associated yeah. with your scholarship at all. It's the like Pell Grant, like if, like Dave was saying, if you get above a certain threshold, it'll start affecting your need-based aid. I don't know what that threshold is off the top of my head, though, Dave. I think you could talk on that a little bit. Well, the first $6,000 is zero impact at all. After that, there's the potential you could move yourself out of a Pell Grant. You know, if, if, you, have a zero, if you have a zero EFC, there's a $25,000 personal exemption on your taxes, right? So there's still another nineteen grand before you even get to taxes. So, you know, now if you're dependent, there's things people are going to have to look like if you start to get you talk about a five figure deal, you're talking about ten, fifteen thousand dollars. There's the potential for tax implications. There's the potential to impact your financial aid. But I mean, the maximum Pell Grants less than seven thousand dollars. So if you're making ten, like you're ahead and you're not it's not one for one. Right. So the first six grand wouldn't even count. And then the next four might lower your Pell Grant by 500 bucks. So it never, it, it pays. That's all there is to that. It's such a, it points out how limited our financial aid is. Yeah. And then for athletics, you know, if you're on an athletic scholarship, that's not need-based aid. So they're not related. But I also think it's important. I haven't seen, I haven't seen a deal that's unequivocally bigger than five figures yet. Now that may come, but I would think if, 
if Nike was going to spend a million bucks on a college student, don't you think they would have announced it July one? Like, wouldn't that be the smart move? Hmm. So maybe, I think- maybe they're seeing how it pans out. And then you, they'll they'll do a sneak attack. <laughs> you know what I was also wondering too is now what if a school is, is like a Nike sponsored school, but you have a Puma sponsored athlete? Is it going to work like it does in the pros, where yeah. everyone's in the same jersey, but the cleats are where you represent what brand you represent? I was Probably thinking about that the other day. I guess right. Yeah, that's going to be the same. I mean, that's and if the school has everybody in Puma cleats, the kid will have to wear the or Nike cleats get off where Puma when he does his private, whatever. I think, I think there'll be some synergy, right? Like if you're, if you're a Nike and you sponsor a school and their best player, you know, you give her also like college, they're college kids, right? Give everybody 25 bucks. Tell them you'll make a custom shoe in whatever color they want. Yeah. Like you don't have to give them. That's where I think that there's a little bit of a mismatch. I don't see kids holding out saying, Hey, I don't want to do this. If I'm a college student, Nike calls me and says, listen, we're going to give you 50 bucks and you're going to get your own shoe with your name on it. Yeah, I'm uh, that. <laughs> yeah, like who's, who's holding out exactly? I, why would you do that? So do you guys have any quick tips on how players could be more attractive to these um, sponsors and, and stuff like that? Like what can they do to stand out? Um, I think really some of the things we saw from July 1st and even a couple of days after was kids just, you know, the jumping on kind of any other opportunities, which I think is kind of under undervaluing their brand. And then also in terms of their, their followers, it's like, okay, are you really just going to be pitching whatever, you know, Starbucks comes up and I'm like, Hey, now I would drink Starbucks, even if I'm not a coffee drinker, you know, and it's like, how, so really understanding what are their strengths? What is their personal brand? What do they like to do? What actually like companies and brands do they associate with or already use really, um, I think would be really helpful for athletes to understand. And then also that it's like, this is July 1st was really exciting and monumental day, but it's, it's just the first day of the rest of the NCAA, like the rest of your life essentially. So, I mean, taking things slow and really understanding that, you know, these opportunities are going to be out there. There's going to be new ones coming around all the time. Um, One thing that I wanted to mention that I think will be a big kind of space where all these deals happen is there's all these um, kind of like digital marketplaces that have been uh, popping up and it's really where athletes go and they can make a a profile and they upload like, you know, their, their connect their Instagram or whatever social platforms they use And then brands are on the other side and they put up what they're looking for from a partnership or whatnot. And then within the marketplace, they collaborate together. Um, And I think those are going to be the majority of where these deals happen, just because they are going to be on the smaller side. Like Dave said, it's going to be 99% are going to be probably a couple hundred dollars or maybe even less than that, potentially even product deals. So um, looking at, you know, getting as much as I would love them all to have their own attorney and their own agent and whatnot. I just don't think it's realistic for the size of the deals that are going to be happening, but those marketplaces offer a lot of cool things like doing some contract vetting to make sure that there's not any like just poor language in there. Um, actually sending off, uh, the deals to compliance. So the athlete doesn't need to be responsible for filling out that like three page PDF thing that the NCAA put out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm just making sure like they're doing some education around the space as well. So I think that those are a really good place for an athlete to start doing some, some research and figuring out which one of those companies or maybe even a couple look best for them. Um, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, well, I think that's really big from the mechanic side. I think the other part is what created value for you guys? You had a, a way of communicating and you built a community, right? And it was a shared space and that's what made it go viral. And it was like, people could really relate. I remember I was coaching in Indiana and this tiny little college. And I mean, those kids, like, they're like, you got to see this coach. And it just really spoke to their experience in a lot of ways. And I'd had players do, I remember players doing like a senior, you know, like a high school, it was a high school coaching thing. Seniors made a VHS video that I thought of the minute I saw you guys, because they had kind of done something similar. And of course it was VHS. So exactly 20 people saw it ever. Right. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't have the virality piece, but the, you know, there's people who build their community, people who build relationships. That's where your value comes from in terms of intellectual property. Right. Now you can build that by public speaking. You can build it by doing camps. You can build it by sharing a sense of style or observations or whatever. And that's how you build your value. And I think people are focused on the modernization piece. And I think it's, it's just like building any business, right? It's all about blocking and tackling. It's the fundamentals. If you worry about, okay, I got to make a million dollars, you're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a nice reminder because I know like we were like you, we all have seen all these players are getting so excited about the opportunities, but I hope they don't lose sight of who they are and like, they need to stay authentic and like it takes, time like we you know we were tweeting over time just saying honest things and being ourselves and like like you're saying it just you create a community and that's what these brands are looking for they want to get their products in front of the eyes of similar people to you you know so it's like just focusing on that and taking it slow like it really is stay true to who you are like you were saying Michelle don't take a brand deal that doesn't make sense for you like if you don't drink coffee don't drink coffee you don't have to <laughs> But it is, these are things that, you know, players should really start to learn and, and focus on because it's not, you know, it's not about making money immediately. Like that's not what it should be about, you know. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna take that long-term view as well. I mean, if you think about it, you're inundated by ads all day long. You don't even notice. So don't, don't you know, there's no money in being the guy doing it to nobody, right? Or woman doing it to nobody. So I think that's why female athletes are going to be the big winners here, because if you're a gymnast or you're a soccer player, you have these big Instagram accounts or tweet, uh, Twitter or TikTok or whatever. I don't even know what they are anymore. <laughs> uh, like that's the, it's the, the thing that makes it valuable is that when you, you know, if you wear the Puma cleats, there's little girls walking around and go, I want Puma cleats. Right. Like, or, I want to ride a horse or whatever it is. And that's how you have value. And so anytime you start to sell that, you're reducing the value. Like brands aren't paying you for nothing. Yep. So, you know, understanding that balance and also just understanding you can write a book. I mean, you could, there's a ton of things you can do now that you couldn't do June 30th. And, you know, figuring that piece out and that freedom, I think is going to take, that's the thing that's going to take time. I think the NIL market's kind of, it is what it is. Definitely. You guys, you, you were so awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to fill us in on some of this NIL stuff. And Michelle, you have an incredible website. Um, can you just actually tell our audience where to find more information about the NIL? Yeah. Um, so 
nilnetwork.com. Uh, it's pretty much just sharing sharing content and trying to spread awareness around all of the trends and everything that's going on in the NIL space as it is rapidly developing and changing every day. Um, and then I also have an Instagram account uh, at NIL Network as well at NIL Network um, where I'm trying to share again, just like daily content and making sure that people are um, aware of, you know, everything be, kind of beyond the, the glitz and glam of getting paid and more of the, the nitty gritty and other things that are happening. So thank you. Awesome. We'll put all of your information in the, in the, inf- in the description to make sure everybody goes there for you're a great resource. And when it comes to NIL stuff and Dave, you're amazing. We have our college recruiting crash course with you and we need, we're actually, we should add this as a bonus lesson in there to start teaching some of the students about what's going on with NIL reform. So um, we'll definitely put the link for that in here as well. Thank you guys so much. We hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. It was nice meeting you guys. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a good one.